Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So let's hit record now. Oh, now this is good. Yes, well, I can already see that it's recording both of our uh, audios now. Because I've hit record and it says two. Aha. Uh-huh. Now I assume that that's just going to work. So wonderful let's just go with that whoa that's a great start well i will uh, do i will do this a third time i will commit to that i promise you <laughs> what about a fourth come on Ma- please i don't know you have to send me some pringles in the post fine by me <laughs> okay let's get on with the podcast shall let's we? do it Hello and welcome to In The Pocket, the bass guitar podcast where we get the lowdown on the low end. My name's Johnny, a totally average bass player, and each week I'm joined by a different co-host to talk all about that bass. Oh, so this week has been a very dramatic one because this is this is the second time recording this, wouldn't you believe? The first time we had a couple of technical hitches, uh, which we realised after recorded the podcast which is you know <laughs> great times uh, um but i'm thrilled you know to be doing this again uh because i'm joined by the wonderful chris from dead romantic chris how are you hello thanks for uh thanks for having me for a second time you did tell me you did tell me after we finished recording this the first time that i was welcome back for a second episode <laughs> i just didn't realize it would be two days later it's it's been so soon. I was like, I need you back straight away. It's such a good conversation. You're but you're back on. Here you are. Um, no, I, I could just say that to everyone, Chris. To be honest, and uh, I understand. To, uh, uh, yeah, you know, just had to had to get you back on. Anyway, um, so for those that don't know, uh, Chris is an awesome, awesome bass player uh, playing in the band uh, Dead Romantic, who are not that old of a band, but are like skyrocketing, doing so well. Uh, Lots of endorsements in there, which we'll talk about later. All the gear and all the idea as well, um, because you guys are doing so well. It's, you started like first quarter of the year, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, firstly, thanks very much for saying that. But um, yeah, I think the first single yesterday came out in April. It's September now. So it's been a relatively short amount of time. But since then, it's 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 really started to pick up momentum, which is obviously exactly what you want for a, yeah. for a new band. But um, yeah, it's going uh, it's going really well. That's probably the be- that's probably the best way to describe it at the moment. Yeah, oh, so happy, and you know, it's no surprise because you guys sound awesome. Uh, so the single "Fight Me" is has recently reached over a hundred thousand streams, and yeah, all really well deserved. And there's some incredible bass tones within there as well, which we'll we'll talk about later on. Oh, you. Um, yo, you stop it. Come on. Um, So uh, we'd like to ask our guest three questions uh, when they come on here. So the first one is three words, Chris, to describe your bass playing. Well, I am going for alliteration. 
for this answer. I'm starting off with percussive. Uh, I'm a I'm a really big fan of bass guitar and bass guitar parts. You know, really locking in with drums or locking in with guitars or complementing vocals in a rhythmic way. So I'm I'm going with percussive as the first one. I'm also a really big Tool fan. So <clears throat> Justin Chancellor's bass parts always really like complement Danny Curry's drums. So that's kind of like a really big thing for me in terms of like the percussive element of bass guitar. I'm not, I might be a drummer in denial thinking about it. Um, <laughs> We've all got it in our blood somewhere. Abs- absolutely. Second one is punchy. So I, as we're going to see, I, I like a big bass sound. That's kind of, that's kind of what I'm aiming for at least when it comes to a bass guitar tone. But from a <clears throat> realistic perspective, like I don't want to, I don't want to step all over the drums and overpower the guitars and and all these sort of things. It's got to serve a purpose, but I want that bass tone to be really, really punchy. And that actually transitions onto um, word number three, which is practical. These are all words that I can live by. Uh, Practical, I'm guessing that that is meaning like serving the song, you know, going up that fretboard when it needs to, but but holding it down in the segments where you're needed. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I I am in a band. Dead Romantic is a band where there are just bits, there are just yeah, well, it's a band for a start, and then there are bits where you know it's just got to be big, and it's just it's just got to be as impactful as possible in those right moments. And if you're a bass player, you can, I think you can make or break that. Like if you if there's a really heavy riff section and you decide now is the time for me to do some chord work up on the 14th fret of the D string, um, right. some delay, oh. it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. Like you can make or break that section. So sometimes you've just got to be practical and copy the guitar, but lower and really add some weight. Other times, maybe take that low end away and play something, <clears throat> play something a little bit higher up, higher register, so it's bigger when you come back in, or maybe a different tone, like play with a thinner tone for a, a couple of sections. But if you're thin there, it means when you go back to the big sound, it sounds even bigger, like dynamics. I probably should have used dynamic as a as a word, but I'm I'm well, still practical. You had to have the alliteration and absolutely you have you can't have that. Um I you know, I love all three of those and punchy is just one. I don't know why I didn't think of punchy for mine when I did the first episode because I all every tone I approach, I'm like, yep, yeah, it's got to be punchy. It's got to punch through that mix. I don't want it to kick through, I want it to punch through as hard as possible. Um and you know, doing that with quite a high presence tone or just filling the gaps in the EQ that mean that you can really get out there and and be noticed in in sections that you that you should be and like say serving the song throughout i love those three words um the next question is uh what is your number one bass this is a very simple question with a very simple answer for me my number one bass is my godin rg4 or godan depending on your outlook on life um it's a it's a swamp ash bass Nice bolt on neck, maple neck, PJ configuration, which is kind of, I know you're a fan of as well, but that's kind of my cup of tea. EMG pickups, so it it just sounds massive, end of. Really great neck, you know, nice, chunky enough to have a bit of of girth in your hand, but at the same time, though, uh, really playable. It's kind of like a slightly thicker jazz neck. 
but it's it's really it's really nice. It plays great. It's a very harmonically rich instrument, and by that I mean when you play it unplugged, it kind of sings a little bit. You can feel the notes resonating in the wood, which not all basses do that. No, absolutely not. Like I my um I took my Sterling uh, Stingray and my new uh, Court slash Sandberg Arona uh, to band practice the other day. And they're both, they both got humbuckers in the bridge. I basically just wanted to, the Sterling is my normal go-to for, yeah. uh, for Nova Mora. And then I was just wanted to try the new one out as well. And very similar pickups, very similar positions, big chunky bridges on both of them. It just doesn't resonate through the wood, that bass, the the courts. And, yeah. and, it, and you can hear that um, when it's unplugged and plugged in just nowhere near as uh as full sounding nowhere near as warm and rich like you say ha- being harmonically harmonically yep that's a word harmonically rich is um is what you really want and you can tell when you when you've got a uh a bass unplugged if it's really resonating through that wood and it's got, if it's got nice quality components that sounds like it's ticking all of the boxes for me as well in terms of like what i look for in a guitar i mean if i was just to have one it would probably be a PJ with a slightly chunkier, like modern C jazz neck. You know, not quite a jazz bass, but a bit thicker, leaning towards a P bass. Like you say, get your hand around the girthy wood. And yeah, that's that sounds awesome. And it looks incredible as well. Uh, it is bass. a pretty it is a pretty bass. It would make a great dining room table, I think. Oh, for sure. Well, the grain on it. I saw a picture today. That grain looked incredible. I've taken the scratch plate off, which I thought they'd shout at me for because now it kind of doesn't look like the retail model. But all, I, but all I've done is taken the scratch plate off, and it's it's the great thing about it is it's been beautifully finished across the entire body. So yeah. you, there's no compromise with taking the uh, take, taking that pit guard off. And it just looks yeah. a little bit more. 80s now i've taken it off which i kind of like Definitely. and i that was, i really wanted to get um i quite like stingrays without the pit guards on now depending on the color of course mm, but like yeah um they they did this like quilted maple um one and the majority of it was covered up with this pit guard but like, oh, I, I was like i was like get it get it off put yeah. more, like a transparent one on there or something and you can see this whole finish underneath which looked beautiful anyway and enough about that the next question for you is um why did you pick up the bass well it's a really cliched answer but i genuinely did fall into being a bass player because I used to be, and you know, I'm somewhat ashamed to admit this. And you can, I'll lean in and whisper this to you. I used to be a guitarist, like what? Six strings. That's two too many, or one too many. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah, so I'd been a, I've been a guitar player since I was twelve, thirteen. Uh, I went to see Metallica when I was thirteen, and basically immediately asked for a guitar minutes after leaving the arena. So um, that was very much my introduction to heavy music. Apart from the one time someone put Cowboys from Hell on by Pantera, and I was like, what the hell is this? Um, Get this in my veins. Yes, beautiful. Give me that fizzy solid state guitar tone any day. Uh, But yeah, um, I was a guitarist from 13 to 24, at least 24. And then uh, I'd been in bands playing guitar, lead guitar, a lot of rhythm guitar. Um, and, um, a friend of mine needed a bass player 
for a, a couple of shows he was doing with his band, and I told him, "Well, I'm, I'm not a bass player; I'm a guitarist. Uh, I've got I've got ethics, and <laughs> I I'll, I'll I'll happily help you out. Uh, but I, you know, I don't want to be in the band. I'll, I'll just help you out for these shows." And he was like, "No, that's perfect. That's what we need." So I borrowed a bass off the drummer and did. <clears throat> I think it might have been two or three shows with them. Really enjoyed it. The the music was kind of like um, Flyleaf. So I like I, I really enjoyed enjoyed being in that band with a bit of a Deftones influence as well. And um, while I was there, um, the singer and drummer of a different band were there, just kind of to to, to support the acts. And uh, I ended up playing two shows with that band, and they were at both gigs. And they told me, "Oh, we're actually looking for a bass player, like an actual bass player." And I thought, "Oh, go on then." Like I, you know, I quite enjoy doing this, so I'll just, I'll just do it, and you know, I'll, I'll play a bit of guitar in my other band, and I just ended up on this journey of basically, I, I became a grown up and realised you only need four strings, and uh, obviously, bass is the most important instrument. So, um, you know, I just, I just carried that on for the last few years, and now I, you know, I. I, uh, I, I barely revisit my former life as a guitarist, and I'm just. It's bass all the way now. Yeah, grew up, became a big boy. Realized exactly. what's important exactly. in life. Now I play the big guitar, the baritone ukulele. He's got it in ukulele tuning as well, I assume. No, no absolutely not. No, and I will <laughs> never be doing that. <laughs> uh, well, that sounds, you know, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that because sadly it's, you know, most people get introduced to the guitar um, and then move on to bass when they you know when they realize what's what's good for them so that's uh exactly great, great stuff and i'm sure that's the same as me pretty much uh, but less experience on the guitar but i should be better <laughs> <at bass. laughs> um, amazing so we've got to know chris at the start let's move on to our first question This question uh, uh, came in on Instagram um, and it says, how did you settle on string gauge and are you married to a brand? Um, so what uh, what tuning is Dead Romantic in? Uh, two different tunings. Well, Guitar Land is a hundred different tunings, but oh, yeah, bass is always the way. But uh, bass, bass tuning, um, I do about half and half. Half of the album... And as a result, half of the live set is in drop C. Mm-hmm. And then the other half would be done on a five string. But because I've got little tiddly hands, I use a four string bass and uh, it's tuned down to B, E, A, D. So B, E, A, D and drop C. Nice. So some heavy string gauges that are needed oh, yes. to accompany those bad boys. Um, I think I remember from last time, is it a 120 gauge that you're running on the on the is that on the C? You are absolutely correct. So on the C guitar, it is a it's a one twenty gauge. I, I can't remember what the the higher side of things is, but it's uh, it's the Diodario Nickel Pack. I think it's an orange. I think it's a Nickel pack. pack. I love that band. Nickel Pack. I, I am actually a really big Nickel Pack fan, to be fair. Um, but I will uh, I will talk about Nickel Pack all day, every day, if you let me. But uh, the bass itself, yeah, it's the Nickel Packet. It's orange. And the lowest string is a 120. I know that for certain. I'm looking at a set right now. Ah, go on. 
Tell me that more. is also also what I am using at the minute. Uh, the 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 one hundred five version for a standard tuning, uh, an E or maybe a drop D. I might go down. I have actually done rehearsals. So when I got the go down, it came with a forty five to one hundred five gauge set, and it was it was a pretty new set as well. Um, so I did a few rehearsals with a with a one hundred five down to drop C, Ooh. and. I can get away with it. I had to pick near the bridge a little bit more. I can get away with it for a rehearsal situation or maybe a little bit of recording, but live, absolutely no chance. Like I, I, I need that 120 live. Those strings are going to be flapping about. Exactly. And I know everyone says this, but I, I absolutely do pick very hard. Like I batter bases live. Like I have broken picks. Um, I've not broken any strings yet. Well, bass strings, but... I really do give it a wallop, so I need that. I need that lower, lower gauge, higher gauge. I'm sorry for the lower tuning. Battering them like cod in a fish and chip shop. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm the same, but I'm you know I'm I'm in drop D normally, and the 105 is is okay for that. Oh, it's, it's fine. Um, down to drop C, that 120 must feel hella tight and feel and sound really tight as well. Well, I could I could potentially go a little bit heavier. Like I have been tempted to try and find a way to put a one thirty on it. So it's a slight it's it's a, a five string tuned up one one note. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like if you take a really heavy string and tune it up a little bit or put it under a lot of tension, you get the tuning stability and you get the intonation, but I feel like the sound is compromised a little bit. A lighter gauge string, obviously you've got to find a balance, but a lighter gauge string will sound better, but that thicker gauge string just sounds a bit flubby to me. No, flubby is the wrong word. Yeah, that's probably, the string's probably not moving as much, so there's not as much vibration. So that, you know, probably explains the, the, the sound difference there. It's all about just finding the one that works for you in terms of getting that nice middle ground of it being it tight enough. It's not flapping about uh, and, no. and it sounds good. With Diodario, I, I really like this brand because I found, I, I started off with Ernie Ball um, and I just found that they died too quickly. I like that fresh string, fresh string, fresh string sound. Um, and I just found I was paying out of my bum bum. Uh, for for new strings all the time because it, they just die too quickly. Yeah, and I'm I'm a very sweaty boy, so uh, <laughs> I've got to have some durability on that. Um, <laughs> I'm lucky to get I'm I'm lucky to get two shows out of a, yeah. out of a nice new fresh set of strings, and then that's it. And this, it's not yeah. the same. You can't just like turn up the presence and treble. No, I, I've tried. I've really tried. It doesn't yeah. work. So then I went to Elixir because I heard that they last a long time, and they do. They they are really durable. I found, but. My God, like, it didn't off-balance the cost. <laughs> That's so expensive. No, really? Um, yeah. It was like 40 quid a packet. Whew. I know, insane. Um, but they, they did sound good, but it wasn't worth that money for me, I didn't think. Um, mm. So then I um, decided to try out the Adario. Um, and I kind of go between the Nickels and the Pro Steels. Pro Steels are a bit uh, brighter. Um, and... Yeah, they were just that nice middle ground. They were just a little tiny bit more expensive than um, than the Ernie balls, but I found that they last way, way longer. Yeah, um, and yeah, I've I've not looked back since really. Well, I say that I did try out some uh, some Ernie balls again the other day, but it kind of just reaffirmed my feelings. I would quite like to try the Dunlop Super Brights. 
I'd like. Mm. I've heard good things about them. I'm a big fan of Josh Paul, who's the the bassist in Daughtry. Um, if you've not if you've not checked him out on Instagram, he is a monster bass player. Like I never I never saw it coming. Like it's all double thumb slap stuff with envelope filters and fuzz short scale fuzz tones with flat wound strings on them. Like he's wow. He's really like he's and he looks the part as well. But um, he uses Dunlop Super Brights with a Stingray. He uses a he has a lovely Stingray. I think he's got the dark ray actually, which is quite cool. Wow! Oh, that's—I wouldn't expect that from uh, from Daughtry. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've seen Daughtry live. They were opening for Nickelback years ago, but I never expected that. But anyway, the stuff he puts on Instagram is amazing. I really, I really do recommend you take a look at him. But he's—he uses Dunlop Super Brights, um, which is stainless steel. But I have never really—I don't think. I've ever given stainless steel a really good go. No, I, I th- I'm trying to remember if I did one time with um, I think there was an early ball. Oh no, was that the Cobalts? I can't remember mm. what they're made of. Um, but I didn't really like those very much. Um, but no, I, I I'm going to say no that I haven't either. No. I don't think. Um, so maybe that's some homework for us both. Go away and uh, come back next time when we have to re-record this again. Thank you so much. Uh, let's swiftly uh, move on to the news. This is where the musical interlude will be. Ba, 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 ba. Oh, oh, yeah. Ooh. You do know I'm not actually going to put an interlude in now. And that's, just that's fine. I can go again if you want. Oh, yes, please. Oh, a nice, clean play. Nice. That's the second one. I'll use both. Excellent. I'm, I, I, I really hope you do. <laughs> um, I'll send you the, the money of the royalties for that. That's fine. Thank you. Thank you. Um, when I actually make some money. Um, so the news this week is shocker block. Um, we, as I said, you know, this, some of these news items might be a little old hat to you at home now if you're really top of your game and know what's going on, um, because, you know, uh, we're recording this a bit later than we normally would. Um, but I kept the news items the same because it's not been that much since, and these are some really cool bits of news that I want to talk about. Out the gate, the biggest one, Fender Player Plus. We have got all new uh player series bases well i say all, i say all new player ones they're not replacing the old player series this is the player plus so if we think of the player series being the mexican versions of the american uh, standard series these are the player plus is the mexican version of the ultra so they're like top of the range high end uh fender bases so on here we've got high mass bridges we've got um a two bands active preamp um with an active and passive switch we've got some noiseless pickups pj configurations or just a jazz uh single single in the jazz bass of course uh and just higher end components and they're retailing for just under a thousand pounds really interesting move for fender oh and of course we've got some like crazy finishes as well like uh, I know I'm going to offend you, Chris, by saying that I'm not like huge on the green. But Ooh. I know you are a big fan of that new green. Um, and we've got some like different fades as well, which are polarizing, I think. Some people are like, 
that's disgusting. Some people are like, yes, give that to me now. Um, first off, uh, what do you think about all these these new Player Plus series? What's your favourite thing about them? It is an absolute yas queen. I uh, <laughs> give give me that green that green PJ. Yes, please. I love it. I I think they look absolutely fantastic. I think it's I think it's a pretty solid price point for the specs as well. I mean that um. And PJ's got a three-band EQ, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you're right. I said two bands, but you, wow. it is a three-band. Is it got um, a? Is it a sweepable mid as well? Wow, that's my good didgeridoo impression. Mm. Um, shall I look this up? Let's me have a look. I'm on the website now, and the first thing I saw was a big advert for the the green player plus. And I'm not going to lie, that was the first time that I went, mm, yeah, actually, that's quite nice. There we go. I'm getting, I'm getting your own. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. It's going to be an expensive year. Um, no, I've got a shopping list of gear. I have got a shopping list. So it just says on Fender's website that we've got an 18-volt active preamp in there uh, with boost and cut for treble, bass, and mid. Uh, so we don't have any mention of um, kind of uh, going through the, the frequency range on that. Mm. But regardless... There's some great features. I'm glad there's a mid control on there because the mid is a really big part of a P base. Um, and so to be able to control that to your heart's content, mm. great, you know, brilliant. Also, a lot of the, the problem I have with the a lot of the active circuits is um, if you've got a free band EQ and let's say it's fixed points, for example, <laughs> the bass might be like all the way down at like 80 hertz. The middle one will be like 500 hertz. And then the treble one will be like 5K. Like it will be a really high frequency. Whereas whereas if it was up to me, I would rather have a bit more control over like an 80, a 1.K and a 3K. That would would suit me better. I think that's something that you get mostly in like more affordable preamps is they've got this wild uh, frequency ranges that you just don't need exactly i found like i had a ibanez tmb 100 really really cheap um bass with a, a two band preamp on there and it was just so hot but like why would anybody want this like it was mm. crazy but I'm, i don't know i'm sure that's not the case with with these more high-end uh vendors that we've got here i really like the silver smoke finish i'm not gonna lie it's the only one i really like out of like the the fade finishes like the jazz bases have got uh crazy colors going from like red to yellow and then a a blue to white yeah Um, i like the one that goes from black to black to white which is silver smoke on the p base i think that looks awesome um i'd love to try one they don't have a passive tone control though so Mm. a lot of people they might not like that um but these are probably if you're buying one of these you're gonna you're, you're using that active preamp surely yeah, I can't True. imagine people are going to buy these and run them passive all the time or, or want, you know, I don't think it's really aimed at people that want uh, to roll the tone off. I think so. Um, too. I think the only I think the only problem I have is just a, I'm always a little bit scared if the battery runs out on stage, because mm-hmm. at least if it's a passive one or at least it has a toggle, you'll yeah. you'll know, oh, the tone, right, the tone's disappeared on the active circuit. Right, I'll flick it over to passive and at least I can get through the gig, whereas... Like my Godan, for example, is is active. It's one hundred percent active. 
So if the battery goes, I'm going to have to take it off really quickly and just grab another one and, and just just crack on, really. So maybe I would always like to have a switch, even if it was like a dip switch at the back, yeah. you know, and you had to, like, click it in. Just, you know, you're never going to use it on stage, but it's like a, a fail-safe just in case. Yeah, and, and this uh, these bases have that switch, which is ideal. Oh, really? Um, yeah, for putting it into, you can run it passive. Oh, it's like it's like the built for me. Amazing! <laughs> it's going up that list slowly and slowly. Oh god! Um, if, to be fair, I, I'm not going to be able to get hold of a Tim Comerford Stingray, so maybe this will have to do instead. <laughs> this will have to quench that first. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that and that I have had that happen on stage before, um, where uh, the batteries just went. But the problem was that it was with a Sire M7, and yeah. that base has got like a million knobs and switches on it. Yeah, um, and it just went, and I was like, "Oh no!" But the volume difference was so big that it, it took me ages to get my tone kind of back to a place that it was before. And I was relying mm-hmm. quite a lot on that preamp for the tone, and yeah. that, you know that was a mistake that I learned from. Then it was quite a long time ago. Um, but so I'm always a bit wary of like active preamps and active pickups so yeah really exciting um looking at the reactions online from people it some people are absolutely loving them some people are not loving them <laughs> they're saying like ah what are all these horrible colors and and all this design Ooh, stick to what you know i think they're damned if they do damned if they don't i know i know but that but also people saying like oh stick to this and stick to that it's like mm. great that's that product is still in stock yeah Exactly. They've been doing that for years. It's like when people say like, oh, like a band's changed and I don't like them anymore. Like, I don't know. The one that people always use is people start using architects as an example quite a lot now. <laughs> yeah. Or Bring Me The Horizon. Like Paramore. Or Paramore. Like, oh, I don't, I don't like the new Bring Me The Horizon stuff. I prefer the old stuff. That's more than fine. Those albums are still available for you to listen to and stream and you can still go and listen to that, but that band is now and has now moved in a different direction. They've evolved as an artist. Yeah, but it absolutely. doesn't it doesn't disappear. You know, an album's not a finite resource, and it's the same with a bass. If you're like, <laughs> oh, I don't like this new this new active PJ configuration with a a high mass bridge, you should stick to a traditional P bass with flats. That's great. You can still buy that. Yeah, you can buy that anywhere. <laughs> they're, they're never not going to make that. Exactly. Um, but I, it's really exciting to see them doing some more things because, you know, with Squire uh, doing loads of exciting things with the Paranormal series and yeah. the new affinities and, you know, all of the different colours and some roasted maple necks that you're getting on the contemporaries, all really cool stuff that I, I have found myself being way more excited by Squire than Fender recently because they've just been doing all these vintage reissues all the time. Yeah, it's like how it's... many times? How many times can we just redo the same uh, same thing over and over again? Exactly. Um, so I'm I'm glad that they're going in this direction. It's cool to see a, a a very established brand like Fender also maybe go after the modern market a little bit more. Like for example. Um, I, I love the sound of modern basses. Like I love the sound of Dingwalls, the headless Ibanezes, the or Ibanezai. Don't know what the plural is of Ibanez. Um, no, Ibanezai, um, and all these contemporary models like the headless stuff and the crazy like um, what are they called? Uh, Kiesel basses and stuff. But yeah, yes. 
visually, I'm a little bit more of a traditionalist. Like, I like a jazz bass. I like a P bass look. I like 100%. a Ray, I like a Rickenbacker. But I want that modern, punchy, mid-range, heavy tone. But yeah. I also want a headstock. And maybe not the maybe not a multi scale. Yeah, I completely agree. We're on the same page there. I I like modern tones with vintage looks, and these new series is kind of marrying those together. Um, I kind of go about mine where I like the more vintage, simple bass, like just you know a straight up P bass passive, and then running it through lots of preamps and distortion to give it a more modern sound. Exactly. Having yeah. Like vintage underbelly that's, uh, that's pumping it through. That's pretty but much yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that is, uh, you know, speaking personally, I think that that just sounds great. Um, awesome. They look really cool. Let's move on to another bit of Fender news, which hasn't quite made the headlines everywhere, but I thought it was too cool not to mention. And that is that the, uh, Japanese factory have done a limited run of the Fender Katana. So these are kind of like flying V looking bases um, with a P bass pickup. They originally made in 1985 with a Squire on the headstock. Um, I think it was a uh, Hammer Okamoto. Sorry if I've butchered that name uh, that it was the uh, artist model of. So now they've brought them back under Fender and I, you know, I, I don't like flying Vs, but I love this. I think they look so cool. They've done it in a, uh, I think it's a black uh, with a white pit guard, uh, like a white with a tortoiseshell pit guard. And then the singing star of the show is the shell pink with a black pit guard on there. They're, they're so 80s. The headstock is like nothing I would ever want but I love it in this context. I think they look really cool. Have you seen these? I have, and I, I want one as well. I uh, I, I kind of want to go against the mold with this, so I want the shell pink one, but I don't want to play like 80s stuff on it. I want to put, put flat wounds on it and just sit there with a Boss OC2 on the, on the Wubby Wubby setting and just play like, just play like trap hip-hop bass lines and slides and stuff but it's so cool that pink one is so cool i love it i think it's brilliant absolutely and it's not that expensive um by the way i can totally see you rocking one of these playing playing that music i think i would also just play a flying fee bass with like dead romantic just to be like come on you, you know the bass player deserves a bit of the limelight now look at my big pointy instruments can it be a dean as well so the headstock is like going off in like a v-shape as well i really wanted one of those when i was a teenager like matt matt hafey from trivium had one with like the japanese rising sun flag on it i wanted it out of floyd rose and like whatever i think it was demasio pickups and the big pointy headstock and i was like i want that so badly well i'm hoping that you know that you can get your hands on one of these katanas to get close to that. Absolutely. <laughs> they're, absolutely. they're about, uh, if my calculations are correct, they're about £1,250. So it's not too bad, really, for a, a new and like vintage reissue and a limited yeah. run out of the Japanese factory. That's a pretty good price. Um, of course, I think you need to get them imported, though. So it's probably like double that again. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, unless you do the thing yeah. where you go on holiday with an empty guitar case. And then oh, come back with a guitar in it and be like, yeah, I brought this with me. Whoops. 
Whoopsie! How did that get just, in there? Just put it in the overhead. You're know, like in, yeah. in the uh, overhead storage in the plane. Just not in the case. Just ah, shove it in there. Yeah, just I think I'll find. I brought this with me. Yeah, it's fine. Do you have anything to declare? No, definitely no, nothing at all. So let's move on to some more news. Um, a little bit of news here for a little a little amp that's come out from Joyo. Uh, Joyo. Um, are a Chinese manufacturer making affordable versions of of other pedals normally, but now they've started bringing out their own stuff as well. So they have brought out the uh, a fifty watt bass heads called the bad bad ass bass amp, and on the on the amp itself, there's a capital B, lowercase a, lowercase d, and then capital ass. So it's the but but and ace they've tried to make it look like it says bass um but it just looks like it says ass on the end um and i hope it doesn't sound like ass but, um it's 126 pounds 50 watts it's one of these little little lunchbox heads um for me i don't really i to to run up against a drum kit i want at least 200 watts i run 500 watts in my live rig um Without, you know, of course, going through the uh, the PA system as well. But just for uh, band practice and stuff, I don't normally have that. So I like to have a, a 500 watt uh, amp. Well, that's the kind of what I go for. 50 watts. Is that really going to get you very far if you're not DIing it? It's not going to be. It's it's not going to be good enough for. Well, it's not loud enough for any live situation. But I'm sure it's more than fine for, for like playing at home. Maybe because some, yeah. you know, some people just like playing instruments at home and they've got no interest in doing it on stage. Or and I'll, look, I really like Joyo. I think Joyo are a great brand. I used mm. to own, <clears throat> I used to own tons of their pedals when I was a teenager, like just starting out. And I want to try a um, a fuzz pedal, or I want to I want to try chorus for the first time. Yeah, one hundred percent. I can't I can't really spend ninety pounds on an MXR pedal or a Boss pedal, but this thing for twenty five quid got me more than close enough at the time. They have it like a, I'm not sure which. It's a Boss Digital Delay, a DD six, DD seven, one of those um, that they do, and it's one of the more expensive ones. It's like sixty pounds, but it's amazing. Like it's so good. It's got like two switches, tap tempo. You can put modulation on the wet signal. You can EQ the wet signal. You can like save two or three presets. I think as well. And like yeah. hold the button down to select them, like that's cool. And that, yeah, that's really cool. Which is very inspiring when you don't have any money. Definitely, and I I think that's a great point that it's kind of this. It gives you this accessible stepping stone into uh, gear that you're interested in. I was exactly the same because my I think it was like my third ever pedal was a Joyo, uh, and it was a compressor. And it was, and I've had compressors ever since because I fell in love with this Joyo and I thought it was brilliant. Uh, and then I kind of, now I, I started to understand them and then wanted to uh, use them a bit more. Then I got something else, you know, a bit more expensive. And so I think they're, they're brilliant for that kind of thing. And they really, uh, you know, uh, pave the way in their market. They do, they do a great job. Um, but going back to this head, uh, I kind of feel like if you're going to practice at home or whatever, then you, you might just be better off with a combo. Probably save a bit of true. space. Well. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, get like a then if you want to change it out and have something else, then I guess you can. But uh not something that I'll be investing in, but 
you know, I'm glad that they're stepping, you know, they're not forgetting about us base players as well. And it's got ass in the name. Sign me up, baby. If it's if there's ass there, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> Take that out of context, please. Cut that out. Hello, editing, yeah. <laughs> HR. Please, no. I need to put some kind of watermark <laughs> below that. Um, so the last bit of news is from GNL, uh, which is they brought out the L2500 series 750, um, which is essentially just their L2000 series five string, but with wider string spacing. So the full three quarter inch spacing so just like because a five string isn't just a four string with a string added on the string spacing is a little bit uh smaller so that the neck isn't like this massive hunk of chunk of wood in your hand um and it means that when you pick up a five string it takes a bit of getting used to uh especially if you're like me and you you play really hard with a pick everywhere and your, your hands going up and down the base you've got to work a bit harder to mute some of those strings um, so you're not just like whacking them all at the same time. Um, so this kind of helps to to combat that a bit. Um, it's just an interesting uh, change, really. Um, I think this is a cool, cool idea. Um, and it's nothing necessarily that new, but I can't see myself wanting that, to be honest. I think, you know, you said you've got quite little hands. Did you think you'd be able to cope with that? <laughs> it might be. A, it might be a little bit big for me like i i would really like to try it because i have noticed that my um live at least when i've played a five string just a normal a normal five string like we're used to there's a bit more um i'm hitting excess strings with the pick because there's just a little bit less maneuverability on the picking side um so it'd be it'd be cool to try it absolutely but my gut tells me um it would probably just be better for me to just stay with that 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 standard five string slightly smaller spacing but i can see why it would work for a lot of people like i imagine it'd be a lot better if you're really into slap and you did it thumb up instead of thumb down where you're slapping with your thumb through the string i can see why that would probably be better because it means you've got a bit more leverage but yeah i i would really like to try it to be fair um i've i've i like to think i've got quite long like salad fingers um but i don't i still don't know if i still find it a bit daunting the sound of this big bit of wood mm. oh my god there's so many sound bites you can take out of this isn't there absolutely uh, and with that we'll swiftly move on uh from the news into our second question Another musical interlude. We've already got one for this. It's fine. Oh, great. Well, there'll be another one. <laughs> um, so this uh, question comes from good friend Stephen McGrath, who says, uh, does buying gear inspire you to play or does playing inspire you to buy more gear? I feel like this is a very loaded question. Stephen, Stephen I see what you're doing here. I see what you're trying to bait me into thinking and I'm not accepting it. I I am not I am I am not falling into the camp of less is more, torn is in the hands. You don't need that extra you don't need that seventh dark glass pedal on your pedal board. 
I dis I disagree. But <laughs> let, let me be happy in my own space, damn it. Steve. Let me Stay use ahead. let me use this massive pedal board to compensate my mediocre playing, okay? This let me have that. We can't all be we can't all sound like you when you've just got a DI box, okay? okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Um the the bottom line of it is that I think it works both ways, you know. Um does buying gear inspire you to play? Yeah, of course it does. There's, yeah, totally. you know, if I, if I whack a chorus on, I am inspired to play something different. And that makes me want to pick it up and play something different. You know, if I've got an envelope filter, an Octave, it, it inspires all different playing. So I think uh, buying that gear and wanting to get something in, if I'm particularly into envelope filters at the minute and I want to get one on the board, then I'll just, you know, try and buy one. But that is, inspires me to play. Um, and then it works the other way because... Does playing inspire you to buy more gear? Yeah, of course it does. Because I might be playing, I'd be like, Meh, I kind of want a new distortion or I want to try. It tastes change, you know? So I've I got to combat that by buying more gear. If I spent as much time practicing as I do browsing YouTube for <laughs> reviews of the same dark glass b7k or the, a boss oh base overdrive i think i'd be a lot better bass player than i actually am <laughs> yeah i i was I thinking i was yeah exactly you're keeping my views going mate um <laughs> i was thinking about this earlier actually when i was i just realized how long i've been playing bass and i was like oh my god i should be a lot better than, than what i am <laughs> christ um i was like oh yeah oh dear i need to practice more um and yeah i think there is stuff in that that and like i said at the start kind of jokingly you know about toning your hands i think there is a lot of tone in your hands but that doesn't take away from the functions that gear has um and not in just like a high quality base because i think there's amazing things that you can do with affordable gear but i'm i'm kind of thinking more about pedals and effects in this instance because that's what um in you know inspires me in terms of different sounds at different bases i go through phases massively like i'll be like oh i really really like stingray tones at the minute or oh now i just want to play a p bass all the time absolutely um, you know so i think it always changes into what i'm inspired to buy and and play that being said if i get a bass and i don't like it or i don't like the look of it and i don't like the feel of it i'm not going to want to play it um so i think it it's really underrated and plays plays a massive role uh, in wanting to, in, you know, inspiring me to play. So I think I think it works both ways with gear. I think so too. Ha ha, Stephen. We didn't fall for your trap, and we don't feel bad. We just feel even better about. Yeah, yeah. Was one Stephen nil about Stephen? I'm sorry. We, we we do love you, really. Yeah, we we do. We do. We're just uh, we're just being annoying. We, we 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 didn't appreciate the challenge against the fact that we use gear to hide our. Uh, Hide our mistakes. <laughs> no, we're just compensating, not for small willies, but for. Absolutely, abs oh no, absolutely not. Yes, of course. Yes. Mm. <laughs> um, let's move on swiftly to the next segment. So this segment is one of my favourites because it is called "That Tone You Own." So leading up to this recording, uh, Chris sent me a rather, rather tasty, a beautiful uh sound uh what am i saying a wonderful audio clip of <laughs> got there at the end oh my god <laughs> chris <laughs> my sent me hello 
Yeah, he sent me something and I opened it up and I loved it. Um, he sent me a sound clip uh, recording of what he considers to be you know, one of his sounds, a signature sound. Um, and let's take a listen to it now. Damn, if any of you at home know me, you're going to know that that is ticking all the boxes and tickling my pickle big time. I love the way uh, that that is sounding, mate. It sounds awesome. Um, Let's start. Let's break it down. Um, So what bass are you using for that tone there? Well, um, it's my it's my Godan. It's my RG4. Um, So I guess the signal chain itself is well, start off uh, a pick. Obviously, I'm probably 90% of the time a pick player. We have one song, maybe two, one and a half songs in our set. I play with my fingers. And then the other 10 and a half, I, I, I'm a pick all the way through. So pick um, Dunlop 88 and then the green one. And then um, D'Addario Strings, it's the go down with EMG pickups. And then we go into the magic, the secret source, if you will. There's a lot going on here. So I'm There's a lot going on. We've talked about this before. Now, to break it down, really, it's um, if you were to divide it down into its simplest components, it's the quad cortex by Neural DSP. Like that's the hardware. It goes into the quad cortex, and then there's an XLR out into the mixing desk. And then there's a bit of compression and a bit of EQ, but it's nothing. It's it's nothing crazy. It's just stuff to kind of like carve it out a little bit to sit with the drums better. Like you'll notice in the in the track, the drums are there, and then they cut away, and then they come back to kind of show mm. um, it all fits together. Because basically, bass guitar on its own doesn't matter. It's it's what it sounds like in front of everything else. For me, at least, it's what it sounds like with the drum kit and with the guitars. I've got to, you've got to compliment that. Like I'm going for best supporting actor. I'm a Tom Hardy as opposed to a Brad Pitt. A lot of people would argue that that is that is better. Yeah, I, I would also argue it's better. Uh, but the uh, the tone itself, so the the actual sound is it's a dark glass Adam. So the big green nolly get good pedal, and within that <clears throat> is a. Um, is a compressor, distortion. Uh, so this is all inside the pedal, what I'm saying here. Compression, distortion, cab sim. And then if I remember correctly, at the end, there's a multi-band compressor that kind of keeps the low end tight. However, inception style, I'm not using the Adam pedal. I am using a capture of the Adam pedal using the quad cortex, if you're still with me here. This is big time science. Oh my it's magic. So basically, I've captured a pedal, and then the entire signal chain is just me playing a capture of the pedal, and that's it. So obviously, um, with uh, I'm just going to be naive here. Um, when you've captured that, what kind of then? Because there's so much going on in that pedal. What parameters have you then got to fiddle with um, <laughs> on the quad cortex? Um, a, a bit of EQ, and that's basically it, really. So. When you capture a pedal, you're taking a you're taking a snapshot of what that is set to at that time. So whether it be 
the setup of an amp, a cabinet, a pedal. You're capturing the state that is in at this point. <laughs> and then you can use the, the quad cortex as a touchscreen. So you just touch on the capture and it opens it up and you've got a gain um, and a, a bass, a mid and a treble and a volume. And they're mainly there for you to kind of tweak it to get it just like it is on yeah. the the against the original material. So the the Adam pedal, for example, has got a compressor inside it where you can control the ratio and the amount of gain going into it. You can have everything from like four to thirty two to one, like it's crazy. Um, and there's a lot of different cab sims. I can't control any of that. I've just captured my Adam pedal with the settings I like. And then I have that in a little box. Think of it like Ghostbusters, you know, where they, where they catch the ghost and put the ghost in the box. I'm doing <laughs> that with equipment. My God, don't, don't you let that quad cortex out of your sight. Don't let it open up. You don't exactly. want to see the horrors that come out of it. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's a fantastic way to put it. Um, and it just sounds, it sounds so good. So it sounds like you've got that sound from the Adam that you liked right, I want to keep this on my board at all times, but without taking the Adam around with me. Um, what is this, this, um, what is this taken from this based this baseline? Oh, this is from our, this is from one of our tracks called All Talk, which is, which is already available. It was like a, a soft single. We released it. It was our first release just before yes, before yesterday came out back in April. Yeah. And what you're hearing is part of the, chorus and just a quick point you mentioned there that made me laugh you um you you just talked about taking the quad cortex with me everywhere so i don't have to take the adam with me the adam is like a quarter of the size of the quad cortex so i'm not saving any i'm not saving any room if anything i've made it worse for myself but you've got everything in one yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've got I've got everything. And the, the the Adam by Dark Glass is amazing. If you want that sound, like if you like progressive metal and you want to sound like Nolly from Periphery, that is you you buy that, you turn it on, and you load up stock preset number one, which that kind of is. I think I've just turned the compression up, to be honest. Um and you're in and you're done. But I am a tweaker. I like to fiddle. Take that out of context. That's me cancelled, um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> check his hard drive. Don't open up his quad cortex, whatever you do. Yeah, exactly. Don't open that cortex. Um, I, I like I like messing around with a different sound. So, for example, when I sent you that track, that was what we were using to track that part of the album. I now use a completely different sound on some of the later songs, and I use a completely different um, patch live. And I've changed that every show. So every show we've done and every rehearsal we've done, I've used either a different capture that I've done myself at home or I've used one of the, there's like 80 stock presets just for bass. Like there's one where, you know, it's um, trying to be John Stockman from Carnival. Um, And it's like the tone of like Goliath or Simple Boy. And then another is clearly trying to sound like Duff McKagan. And then there's loads of them basically, but I, I just, I've been trying a different one every, every set and every, uh, every rehearsal to try and find exactly what I want. Cause I think I'm one of these people where I'll never be happy in life. Yeah. 
but with music. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I can relate to that as well, where I'm like always tweaking on the go. And it depends on the room that you're in. Even in the same room in, in a band practice situation, if you're like setting up slightly differently. I mean, I know you're running um, in ears. Yeah. Um, but like for me, how I relate to that, you know, I'm never in the same place, you know, exactly each time. So there's always a bit of a different sound. I'm always tweaking as I go. And my taste is always changing. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. So you got to adapt to that as well. And I'll, um, take, um, I'll take broad strokes. Like I'm not talking like, oh, today I'll I'll boost the mids and today I'll cut them. I'm talking like, well, today I used a, an Ampeg SVT model with the uh, the low button clicked in. And then this gig, I'll try a Galleon Kruger. And then I'll try a Harky. And then I'll try a Mesa Boogie um, Strategy 88. And... Today we'll use the vintage microtubes. Tomorrow we'll use the the B7K because these are all digital amps that I'm telling you about, by the way. So they've got captures, which is like a snapshot, but then they've also got amps, like a plug-in, for example. So the SVT has the entire front panel of an SVT. So there's a mid-control with the frequency switch that the actual SVT has. Yeah. And it's high, there's the high button and the low button. So I'm like... I'm at a base buffet every gig. You're making me salivate at, the, at this base buffet. They're available now at neuraldsp.com. Hashtag ad. Hashtag sponsor me. <laughs> <laughs> not, a, not a natural sponsor. This is incredible stuff, and it leads very nicely into our next question, so we can kind of just continue this conversation there. But uh, let's let's do another musical interlude, shall we? You just have to have the last the last word, don't you? Flippin' heck. Not having this yep. guy back for a third time. So this takes us on to the big bass debate. And this comes from Sam on Instagram, um, who asks, modelers and multi-effects processors, are they the future? Do we need to answer this? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Yes is the answer. Thank you so much for watching. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye. Um, no, uh, no. Well, yes and no, I think. Like, there's always going to be space for uh, for real amps, you know. I mean, sometimes physically not space for real amps, but uh, people are. There's no one is ever. What am I trying to say here? There's always going to be people that will want a real amp and that will poo-poo having anything digital. That's just a fact. There's always going to oh, be absolutely, people. absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like sometimes you just love an amp. I personally love having a pedal board and love having pedals that i can tweak on the go i'm quite a tactile person um so that doesn't mean that i'm running up to people and, and grabbing their knobs and giving them a twist um that just means that i'm you know grabbing my pedals and tweaking on the go i quite like the physically being able to touch something you will get in quite a lot of trouble doing that in public though just just so you know please do not try any of this at home anyone um i mean you could try that at home by yourself. Oh, yeah, try it at home, that that in a, in a in a safe consensual environment, but don't go running running down the street twiddling other people's knobs. That will not end well. No, no and even like 
even in an actual band situation, you don't want to twist their like pedal knobs either, right? Because oh no, no, that'll get that'll get you smacked in my book. Absolutely. Either way, either way, you're getting big time smacks. Absolutely, Swift backhander is coming to you. <laughs> um, so with I've I'm an owner of the Line Six HX Stomp, and I use it for my videos, and it, and it's great. It's functional for that. Um, but I found myself being a bit overwhelmed and diving into all this tweaking and i was like ah there's there's so much here and and it's although it's intuitive like it's really easy to use um it's still not as easy as twiddling a pedal Um, oh yeah exactly and i think that was the big thing for me as well so i i'm a long-term kemper user i've had a kemper for four years i've gigged you know two or three gigs a week every week for well over a year with the kemper and Sounded really great, really big fan of it. Not the easiest thing in the world to mess with on the fly. Like if you if you're thinking, oh, I'm a bit I'm a bit subby today, or there's a particular note that's really popping out. I'd love to get a bit of an EQ on it and just dip it. Um you can't really do that. But the quad cortex, when you look down at it, it's like a pedal board to an extent, as in the touch screen. <clears throat> which is nice and big and legible, super bright. To change anything, all you've got to do is touch it and it opens that pedal up and it's like the pedals in front of you. Like they've got some dark glass pedals in there where you open it up and it's like, aha, drive, blend, grunt switch, overall tone, close that, click away from it. And like, oh, you know, I want to mess with the compressor. And then you click on it and it's like you've opened up a compressor pedal, you know, ratio, blend. There's no like static moves everything can every, everything you need to do even if it's a simple thing like uh, we, we we played a show in london uh, about a month ago and um for reasons i don't quite understand that i was coming in really hot on the desk um <laughs> and we don't know we, we never really found out why because i never changed the volume because i run it on full all the time um yeah. and uh you're able to just swipe down from the top on the on the standard page that you look down Swipe down from the top, and there's a full input and output menu list, which is all metered as well, like a door, which is amazing. Nice. So I very quickly, in four clicks, I turned the output down by like 6 dB, and it was great. And it's just really, really nice. So for me, I'm all the way, take that 8 by 10 and throw it in the bin. You don't need it. Yeah. Like and I, I know I know your setup on stage is you know where you can is to have it kind of run one di get the di going yeah. to front of house and then an output running to an amp on stage. That's correct. You can, run, stage. Um, you can run four separate signal paths in the quad cortex. That's why it's called the quad cortex. It has four processors. Ah, uh, exactly. Um, so if you wanted to, you could go all out and have four completely separate signal paths split into frequency bands or something crazy like that and then sum it all to one output if you want to but i just have one signal chain that goes to front of house and that goes in my in-ears and then i have one other separate signal chain which to be honest has a compressor and a bit of eq and that's it and that goes to my dark glass amp which runs either whatever the venue's got or just a little a little i have a little laney 210 which serves me a 410, sorry, Laney 410, uh, one of the Nexus cabs, which is really light, really loud, uh, really like it. And that's just there to kind of um, 
tickled the backs of my knees on stage, which suits me just fine. But for small shows, I, I'm just in ears. I'm nice and simple. Yeah, and that's you know you're getting the best possible mix, then, aren't you? In the end, yeah, exactly. And and in that setup, in this scenario, you have everything you need because let's say the PA goes down or there's an issue or for some reason there isn't enough inputs or there's, you know, some reason I'm sure there's a story for everything when it comes oh, to yeah, sound totally. guys and PA systems, you know, that you cannot use it. And you're like, Oh, great. Okay, fine. I'll use the amp on stage or vice versa. If there's yeah. no amp, or like you say, no room for an amp on stage. Fine. I'll just, I'll just run it direct. You know, luckily as bass players, we can afford to do that. Um, I mean, and, and guitarists can as well now with with um, items like this. Um, so I think the quad cortex is like a step in the next direction in the future because it's all about accessibility. Like you say, the Kemper isn't that accessible, really. Um, the big learning curve, the line six stuff, the helix is, um, you know, is, is close. And the HX stomp that I've got is, is, is OK. It's easy to use in terms of how it's set up, but. It takes a lot of getting used to. There's a lot of like double clicking buttons and there's some like touch bits on the buttons where you can assign it to it. But some things don't quite make sense or it's like it takes like 10 clicks to do something, whereas on a pedal it would do like two twiddles of a knob, you know. So yeah, I get uh, it. it sounds like with the addition of that touch screen on the quad cortex that that is a, a, a next step. Oh, um, yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, all, all the buttons... Um... All the, the buttons on the actual hardware unit turn as well. So if you if you don't want to use the touchscreen, you can you can click on an amp and turn actual dials to change the settings, which is I, I don't do, but I prefer to use the touchscreen. But it's it's really cool. I've heard the axe effects is quite difficult to get your head around as well. Yeah, I'm not really big on the axe effects. To be fair, I'd 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 rather have a camper over that, and particularly for bass as well. Well, I've heard um, the I'm, – I'm a big Burtooth fan, and the bassist of Burtooth uses an Axe FX, yes. and his tone sounds really good. He, he, sounds, he sounds amazing, but I've never tried, a, I've never tried an Axe FX. You're right. I, I forgot. He'd done some um, stuff on Instagram recently. Yeah. I've uh, some demos out, and it sounds – it does sound so good. Um, and, like, you listen to, like, the older – I don't know. I think it was all recorded through, like, guitar – amps as well or the old um like on the original uh ep that they let out the bass tone on that is insane and it's a huge part of the mix on the on the uh oh yeah totally. um, as as is bass in any mix but in that particularly it's super aggressive and present in there um and it's a big part of their sound um so you know maybe that's that's a sign that it is the future then um obviously there will be people listening to this that are going, no, thank you. I will stick to my head to my camp. Camp? I'll stick to my head of my camp. Uh, my head of my cab. You'll stick or... to mine camp. Whoa. <laughs> oh, no, no, Whoa. no, 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 no. That's, another, that's a whole nother level of cancelled. That's episode three. Yeah. Edit on, that out. Bring it on, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, those people, those, it's perfectly fine if you're an amp guy. All I'm saying is, you come back to me at three o'clock in the morning when you're dragging that eight by 10 and that huge SVT classic upper flight of stairs that weighs like 26 kilos. And I will, I, I will wait for you to do it. And then I will walk up with my tiny backpack yeah. and go to bed. 
No, thanks. Um, and like people, there'll be naysayers that say, well, I can tell the difference. To be fair, if you put them A, a and B side by side, you, you could tell them apart. Bass, less so than guitar even. Like guitar, you can probably tell a bit more. Ah, well, I I think it's the other way around, actually. Oh, really? Because with bass guitar, because it's a... Bass guitar is a very functional instrument, at least in my eyes. Like it's there to serve. It's a, It's like a foundation. It's part of the foundations of a house. And I think if there's a particular frequency that's like a bit lacking. So let's say, let's say a modeler is rubbish at anything under 90 hertz, for example. That's going to really affect you from a bass perspective. Or let's say it's rubbish at anything above 5K. That's going to really affect a guitar, for example. Or oh, 5K is a bit high, but do you know what I mean? But yeah. I have sat, and I, I kid you not, I have sat in our recording studio, which is a, a re, I don't want to toot my own trumpet, but it's a very good recording studio with the Kemper. Sorry, not the Kemper, not that. With the Quad Cortex and the amp that we're modelling, mic'd up in another room, and we've captured it and we've AB'd it, and and me, our singer, our keyboard player, who's a producer himself, and our guitarist, who's a multi-platinum selling producer you know he's, he's really he's got great ears we've all sat there and gone i can't tell the difference at all like we've blind what we've you know faced the other way and clicked it and tried to trick each other and then even if we have noticed the difference it's so little that as soon as you've got another instrument next to it or put it in a mix you can't tell the difference and for me that's that's good enough because uh, the only person who is listening to a bass guitar on stage or at a venue really loud is me in my in-ear mix. Everyone yeah. else is getting it at the appropriate volume for the mix. 100%. And like like you say, if it's soloed, nothing else, you might be able to pick something apart to identify that that's the digital one. Yeah. In a in a recording, less so. Live, even less so. Impossible and, and- live. Impossible live. I really want a quad cortex now. So thank you very much for um, <laughs> just ruining my uh, YouTube channel that focuses on affordable gear. I'm terrible. So- I am. I am very sorry. If it helps, I do think the Helix is amazing as well. I very nearly bought a Helix, and it, it was partly your fault. A few other parties, but mostly you. Um, and I, you know, I got an opportunity to get one of these, so I did. Um, but um, I forgot the point I was making here. Basically, the helix, the helix is is great too. And if I'm ever near you, obviously I'll bring it, and you can have a play around with it. Good man, that's what I like to hear. Because I would love to play it to know if I uh... because it's because it, they're you know they're, they're not cheap things. No, 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 they're not. They're not. They're not cheap. If you're not sure about it, like it's an expensive risk to take, like to get into that kind of thing. Um, because I found when I first got my um, HX Stomp, I had to sit on it and for a few months and, and get used to it because I instantly didn't like it. I was like, yeah. oh, it, "There's a lot to this." There's, um, it, it just it was a barrier to playing, honestly, because it made me a bit down in the dumps because all the presets were really rubbish. That's one thing I don't like about line six. Well, I've heard about that. Like you've the, the main tip for the HX stomp and the helix ranges. Don't bother with any of the stock presets, which is actually, 
I'm pleased to say is the opposite with the neural stuff. Like all of the all of the stock presets are usually done by like artists who use it or beta yes. testers or the base patch I'm using messing around at the moment is is made by um Doug Castro, who's the CEO of Neural DSP. Oh nice. It's a, it's just a sand amp into an SVT and it sounds oh. amazing. Brutal. Yeah. Well that's that's you know that's what that's the sound I want. But getting that out of the um the HX stomp is, you know, a challenge sometimes. You've yeah. really got to dive in. And that put me off straight away. I was like, oh, I wanted this for the ease and to have everything at my fingertips, but there was a big learning curve. And it yeah. and it put me off of playing because I was like, oh great, I'm gonna have to pick up and play and and try and work this thing out again. Um, but once you get there, uh yeah, it's it's great. Um, yeah, that's no fun. I mean, going back to Steven's question earlier. Yes, gear can motivate you, but I tell you what, gear can demotivate you very, very quickly. Like I've had, I've had band practices where something wasn't working, or you know, gigs or practicing at home where like a pedal isn't quite, like a new pedal isn't quite behaving the way I was hoping it would, and nothing will make me give up quicker. Like as soon as that happens, I'm like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And I, because I get quite a lot of, you know, now with the channel, I get quite a lot of gear in. And so I go, well, I find my attention span with gear is, is reduced as well. And like, mm. if I don't like something immediately, or if I don't like one thing about it, I'd be like, Meh, well, I'll sell it and get something else, you know? like mm, Yeah. Uh, so I kind of had that issue as well. So you're, you're totally right. As amazing gear is, it can sometimes have that opposite effect. Um that sounds like we're going to end on a, on a on a bad note, but it's not. That's just a fact, and we love gear. We absolutely love it. All gear, all gear is good. All exactly. Gear, all gear is good. Budget means nothing as well. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, you can get fantastic tones, whatever the price range. Absolutely. Just got to know your stuff. Um. So that brings us to a close of this podcast episode. I really, really hope that this has worked this time because <laughs> it has been an incredible uh, episode. I think I, I've, you know, loved having you on both times, Chris. It's been amazing. Well, thank um, you for having me on for the uh, for the eighth time. I really, I really appreciate it. <laughs> Take number twelve. <laughs> um, Four hours later. Yeah. Um. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can people find you, both yourself and the band? Well, you can, you can. I'm only really on Instagram, but you. Can, I mean, I have a Twitter, but I haven't posted in months on it. <clears throat> so uh, Instagram, I'm pretty simple. It's that guy on bass, um, all one word. And then the band is going to be Dead Romantic Band um, on Instagram, and I think that's the same on Twitter and Facebook as well. If you look, if you stick us into YouTube and Google you know they they know those search engines do their thing and uh they they, we're at the top of the list fairly quickly you can catch one of our music videos uh you can also find google us and we've got a website as well where you've got all the merch and the tour dates and and all that lovely juicy stuff go and check it out keep in touch go and let go let chris know that you enjoyed this episode let me know that you enjoyed this episode if you're watching on youtube leave a comment down below and yeah, I think you should bloody hit that subscribe button extremely hard. As hard, imagine someone's come up and twisted your knobs on on your pedal, and you're giving them a backhand ugh, that hard. That's how hard you've got to hit that subscribe button. Just imagine, imagine someone's walked up to you, and it's your big moment. It's the only time in the set as a bass player you're above the twelfth fret. Like it's mm. a big deal, 
And just as you're about to slide up that glorious roasted maple neck, they click your tuna pedal on. Mate. That reaction, that gut reaction, is how hard you need to slap the no. subscribe button. No, thank you. Thank you. I've now got that soundbite I can put into every video. I, you're welcome. My God. Um, that, I, I know we're closing off here, but that has reminded me of a time when, because like my favorite part of a set is like that first note. Oh, when you're like, oh, come in. Boom. That's my, that's my least favorite part of the set by far. Is I, it? I hate it. <laughs> I love it because it's like, because like, we've got like a, an intro rolling on a backing track. Yeah. And we come in with this sub drop and like, yes, I love it. I did that one time and my wireless battery died literally a second oh, before that no. first note. So I went, yeah, did this big head bag just to nothing. I was like, oh. Oh no! And then I had to like scramble around for a cable. Oh, oh, the, the oh, oh, I was just getting like anxiety and PTSD about that. No, no, nah. <laughs> that, that first, like that, the first, uh, ooh, the first minute of the set is my least favorite part because there's still a few nerves lying around, you know. But okay. the, the push to the side pretty quickly, and for me, by the time I hit the second song, I am like, the train has left the station. Let's go. Nice. He's getting full steam ahead, baby. Choo, choo, choo. Exactly. Choo, choo, choo. The fat controller laughed. You are wrong. If you're making any Thomas the Tank Engine references, you're very welcome here. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on. And to everyone at home for listening. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.